You are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. Good morning. The astute observer may notice that I am not Pastor Rick. Hopefully, you don't have to be too astute to notice that, actually. My name is Mikhail. I'm one of the pastors here. I pastor discipleship. And uh, last night, sometime around between 6 and 7, I got a phone call. And Pastor Rick has been really sick the last 24, 48 hours and said, is there any way that you think you could preach on Sunday? And I said, well, I'll show up if the Holy Spirit shows up. So <laughs> that's, that's the bargain we have this morning. Um, I will uh, be talking with you this morning about Advent. And as Kyle mentioned, today is the first Sunday of Advent. And I think there's some, some misconceptions, some ruts that we fall into a lot of times. And I want us to be vigilant and try to steer away from that. Advent is not just a countdown calendar of how many days are left before Christmas comes. It, we have Advent calendars that do count down the days, but, you know, a countdown kind of feels like we're running out of time, like we only have 24 days of shopping left. Um, and, and that's really not the spirit of, of Advent. Advent is, is actually a, a season... Uh, that means the, the coming. We're, we're anticipating, we're waiting for something to happen. It's a season of excitement. It's a season of wonder. It's a season of mystery and awe and joy. Two weeks ago, I went with some friends to Disney World. And uh, the, I, I've been to Disney World several times. I, I went as a child. Um, I've even gone several times as a teenager and adult. But this was their first time. Uh, my, our friends and their kids, a seven-month-old and a two-year-old. Uh, seven-month-old obviously has no idea that he went to Disney World, but we took lots of pictures so he knows that he'll, he was there. The two-year-old, almost three, had a fantastic time. Um, she just was enraptured. And, and our friends, who are adults, you know, they had never been to Disney World, and they were excited and full of joy as well as anyone would be who had never been to Disney World before. And I remember very clearly, I feel like it was one of those moments where uh, I, I could tell that God was doing more than it seemed. We, our, our very first day, we went to Magic Kingdom. For those of you that have been there, you know, you walk kind of through this little magical area of a town and it all looks so real and there's characters everywhere and you get to the first fantasy land where there's all these different rides and we decided that the very first thing we were going to do was the teacup ride. We were just going to spin our brains out and get it over with and then move on to other things. And now we're standing in the teacup ride line and I have, I have the whole, you know, um, park, uh, map, out and I'm circling things and I'm kind of planning, you know, we should go here next and we'll go to Fantasyland and then we'll go to Frontierland and then we'll do the bell and then we'll do this and then, you know, all of this kind of stuff. And this line is usually really long, so we need to get there first and we'll get a fast pass for this place and da 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 da. And I look around and my friends who I'm standing in line with are like this. Oh my gosh, we are in Disney World. 
and there's the Cheshire Cat, and there's Alice in Wonderland, and there's Mickey Mouse is walking down the street, and there's the princesses, and we're going to go see Cinderella, and this, and this. I mean, it was like my experience and their experience at that moment could not have been more different. I was in Disney World. I was fully in it. I was just really wrapped up in preparing my own little agenda of Disney World and, and making sure that we got the most out of every last second. And they were actually, like, enjoying every last second. And at that moment, and in sense coming home and, and thinking about that, I thought, you know what? It's a really good analogy of how we go through life a lot of times, specifically how we go through the season of Advent. How many, I mean, honestly, how many Christmas parties do you all have? Because I have about 50 bajillion. And then you've got to think about the food that you need to make for those Christmas parties. And then are you doing crafts that you're giving people for Christmas or are you shopping? Are you, are you deco- how are you decorating? Most of you have probably already decorated. My tree is not even, it's, it's, it's up, but it's not really done yet. And so there's just all of these things that we're thinking about crossing off the list. And when does this happen? And where does that happen? And... And I think if we're, if we're not careful, we're in danger of being right in the middle of something awesome and extraordinary. And we never take the time to be like this. Wow. Wow. Look at what this is about. Look at what is around us. This morning, if there's anything that I would pray and hope, it's that the Lord would begin to give us an ability to recapture a sense of excitement and wonder and mystery of what this season is all about. If you have your Bibles or your phones, whatever you read the Bible on, turn to Mark chapter 1, and we're just going to look at a couple of short Verses. We're going to look at um, Mark chapter 1, 14 and 15. I don't think we had time to get anything on the screen, but Mark chapter 1, 14 and 15. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Might startle you to hear this as an Advent passage. But this is, this is the message that Jesus preached. This is his ministry. And usually when we start, you know, talking about Christmas and Advent, we, we start at a much different place. We start in Luke chapter 2 or Matthew chapter 1, and we start talking about, you know, how the angel came to Mary, and then the dream that Joseph was given, and, and, and shepherds, and wise men, and the manger, and all of those things, which are incredibly important. But Advent is not just about rehearsing the story of Christmas. That, that's part of it, and it's an important part. But the larger picture meaning awe of Advent is that God has come. 
God has come. And he continues to come. When Jesus began his ministry, he has some very clear things that he says, this is the gospel, this is the good news. And what is it? That the time is fulfilled, the time has come, the time is now. And the kingdom of God is at hand. It's near, it's in your midst, it's right around you. These are exciting words. This is, this is time that is, that is full, that is ripe, that is ready. Time that, that something really exciting is going to happen. And so not only do we remember how the kingdom has come in Jesus when he was born and lived and died and rose again, but we look forward to a time when his kingdom is coming in its fullness. We struggle as Americans in the 21st century with the concept of kingdom. We're rather proud that we don't live in a kingdom. We live in a democracy. Thank the Lord, right? That's what we say. And, and we, don't, we don't need a king to tell us what to do. But Jesus had a very particular understanding of kingdom. And he used this understanding. He talked about kingdom a whole lot. He spends a lot of time on it. And, and so it's important for us to spend some time on it too. What, what, is it, what does it mean, this kingdom of God? It sounds pretty self-explanatory, but I think it's worth mentioning that first and foremost, a kingdom is any place in which the king has supreme authority. A kingdom is anywhere, at any given physical place or uh, dimension in which the king or the, 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 the person in charge can do whatever he or she wants. Nothing gets in the way. The king has final authority. And so when we talk about the kingdom of God, but just absorb that for a second. When we talk about the kingdom of God, we're talking about the time and place in which everything happens according to how God wants it to happen. God is in control. Now, we say God is in control. We, we know God is in control all the time. Of, of, he, he's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. But if Jesus instructed us to pray, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven... That gives us some room to understand and believe that everything that's happening on earth is not exactly according to what God wants. There are some things in our midst, in our culture, in our world, in, in our own lives that's not exactly how God wants it to be. And so we anticipate, we pray for, we wait for his, his full kingdom when he is completely in control, when he, there's nothing that gets in the way of what he wants to do. What does that look like? I think, I think it's, it's sometimes elusive to us. What, when we say God can do whatever he wants, sometimes I think there's a little part of us that, that, that is afraid. What's going to happen when God gets what he wants? 
What does God's will really look like? It seems like it's kind of nebulous and, and, and it's hard to figure out. It's, it's hard to pinpoint in place. I don't think it has to be that way. I think we can look at the very, very, very beginning and notice what did God want? What did God want? At the beginning of our human understanding of time, everything that we have now is come into place because God wanted it. He wanted a good world. He wanted a world that was beautiful and pure. A good creation that that was full of meaning and purpose. He wanted a creation in which the, the humans that were there had perfect relationship with him. And they had perfect relationship with one another. And they had perfect relationship with the rest of creation. The animals, the plants, it all was perfect, just as it should be. No kinks, no bruises, no chaos, no break, brokenness. That's what it looks like when God does what God wants to do. And even after sin entered the world, even after the first humans, Adam and Eve, decided to go against what God wanted to do, we still see who he is and what he's about and what he wants. Because from that very moment until now, God has been entirely about restoring that which has been broken and making things right again. All throughout Scripture, this is the story of Scripture that we have. Yes, there are really important details and, and stories embedded within that, but the greater story of the Bible of all of history and God's interaction with humankind is this. We have a God who comes to us to bring healing and redemption and restore what was lost and heal the chaos. That's who God is and that's what he wants. This morning, we've already talked about uh, the prophets and how they they began to, to prepare the people of Israel for this coming kingdom. And we see all throughout the book of Isaiah and others, but we see in Isaiah so many times that the, the words that the prophet uses to begin to, to excite and, and, and help the people get ready for what God is going to do in their midst. And in Isaiah chapter 11, he talks about things like God giving gladness in place of mourning. And those who mourn will be comforted and those who are imprisoned will be set free and every mountain that is standing in your way will be leveled and every valley that you can't get through will be lifted up so you can have a way in the wilderness. And in Isaiah chapter 61, he talks about proclaiming good news to those who are poor and oppressed We're told of a prince of peace who will come and rule with wisdom and with might and an understanding who will be led not by the way that humans are led, but will be led by the very spirit of God. 
The coming of God's kingdom is good news. And so this is what Jesus came to proclaim. Jesus is saying, I, I, am, I am here. God incarnate in flesh among you saying that the kingdom of God is right in your very midst. And so he himself used chapter, Isaiah, chapter 61 of Isaiah in his first sermon of Luke chapter 4. And he says, the spirit of the Lord is on me. And I have been anointed to preach good news to the poor. And I, will, I am the one who will preach and who will proclaim to the captives and who will make the lame walk and make the blind see. You know what he's saying? He's saying the kingdom of God is coming, which means that things are being made right. I can get really excited about that. Because I see a lot of things that need to be made right. And so Jesus says, the time is fulfilled and it's here now and it's in your very midst. The most surprising thing to me about God's kingdom is not necessarily the attributes of the kingdom that we've just talked about, that, that it's about making things right, that it's about justice and peace and wholeness and restoration. Those things are exciting, and I get passionate about that. But you know what's amazing to me is how God chooses to make his kingdom come. If it were up to me, the one who stands in the teacup line and plans out everybody's Disney, I would kind of go into my own little corner and make a master plan and every jot and tittle and I would, you know, just kind of legislate it out and I'd figure out all the details and I would tell everybody what role they had to play and at a certain point in time, I would get everybody together and I would say, okay, here's the deal. Here's what we're going to do. This is what you 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 do. Now we're going to synchronize our watches and the plan is going to take effect in three, two, one, bingo. Kingdom has come. Ta-da, we're done. Everything is made right. Oh, my word. Praise the Lord that I am not the king. (laughs) He doesn't work like that. God's kingdom does not come from a top-down decree of on high, dictating what all of us should do. It doesn't even come in flashy, decorative costumes and money and power and wealth and might. I I think it probably should. I mean, if it were up to me, it's pretty important. But God chooses to bring his kingdom in very surprising, very unexpected very unglamorous, sometimes embarrassingly humble ways. <laughs> like pregnancy. Have you ever thought about the fact that God chose to enter human existence through another person's body? That's Weird. (laughs) 
I mean, it's wonderful. Pregnancy is, is fantastic. I'm not complaining about it at all, but it's, when you think about it, you're like, really? God, that, that, that's the best you could come up with? That's so normal and raw and fleshy and human and messy and risky and, and really? I mean, everybody is born. You, you, you don't want to choose another way? And he chooses unglamorous, surprising, unexpected ways like parents who are in crippling poverty. And spectators who haven't bathed in months and who live with sheep out in the wilderness when there was no deodorant or running water. And I mean, this is unexpected and unglamorous at its best. Even to the point of, of God himself, Jesus, who was in his very nature God, deciding that his own nature was not to be grasped and gave himself up, becoming human, even to the point of becoming a slave, even to the point of dying on a cross. Which, if we understood the cross for what it was then and, and, and kind of thought of it now as lethal injection or an execution chair, I'm telling you, our whole idea of Easter would be a little bit different. This is how he chose to come. Through pain and suffering and dirt and squalor and humility. Through normal stuff of life. It's, it's as if when we hear Jesus talking about the kingdom of God is at hand. It's around you. It's in your very midst. It's like it's embedded within us. It's, it's around us. We can't really even tell what's what because it looks so normal. And then all of a sudden it shows itself for what it is and we're left like we're at Disney World going, oh, no way. That's what it is? That's what we're talking about? This is it? Can you begin to tap into, feel? Is there any kind of emotion of just excitement that is welling up within you? This sense of wonder and, and, and you're just like awestruck at, wow, really, this is where we're at. This, this same story and, and these same players and the same stuff that we've heard over and over and over again. It is so full of excitement. Jesus taught us to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I think that this is an appropriate prayer for all times of our lives. 
It should be a defining prayer of believers. But at Advent, I think it's even more important. Could we make this our theme song prayer of Advent? That we are longing, expecting, waiting, excited about. Lord, would your kingdom come in our midst? Would you continue to come like you have been coming since the beginning of human time? Would you come in us? Would you come now? Would you make things right? I don't want to mislead you. This praying this prayer, living this prayer is... It's a little risky. It's a little um, edgy. Because first and foremost, when we're praying for his kingdom, we're praying that it's not ours. We're praying that, that he is in full control as the king, as the authority, as the supreme, and that he does it the way he wants it to be done. And so not only is he making things right, but he's making things right in his own way, in a way that looks very different, unglamorous, unexpected, and surprising than what we would choose for ourselves. And yet, if we are earnest about praying, your kingdom come, it sets our hope and our expectation for what could be, what can be, what will be, and even what already is around us. When we pray, Lord, would your kingdom come, we're praying, make it right. Make it right. Make it how it should be. And we begin to be changed by that that longing, that expectation. And we begin to watch for it breaking in. We begin to, to anticipate it, to be caught up in the wonder of, is it here? Is it now? Is it around the corner? Is it, when's it coming? What's going to happen next? And in my mind, I think that if if we were truly to be absorbed in the anticipation of the coming kingdom, it would look a little bit like this.
seen that so many times and I can't watch it without crying. Because when the kingdom of God breaks in, I think it kind of happens like that. It's awesome and it's beautiful and it's breathtaking. And you know what else? It comes in very normal ways like like you and like me. And I think, oh God, could we be like people who sing in a food court at the top of our lungs, the kingdom of this world is becoming the kingdom of our Christ. And that you will reign forever and ever and ever. Friends, that's how he does it. In Advent, we celebrate his kingdom. We celebrate the way he has come. We pray and we anticipate that he will continue to come and that the fullness of his kingdom will come to make all things right. But we also prepare to participate in that coming kingdom because we are the normal, surprising, unglamorous ways that he brings his kingdom. Today, we're gonna close our service by celebrating communion together. I can't think of a better way. So those who are helping with communion, would you come forward and prepare to help us receive We're going to do it a little bit differently today. We're just going to pass it down the aisles. And those who are helping with that will know what to do. You just follow their lead. Would you all stand as we prepare to receive this? And everyone will hold the bread and the cup until we receive them together. But as you you receive this, I, I want you to hear something really clearly. Yes, the bread and the juice are symbols of Jesus' body and blood. But when we participate in communion and when we take the Eucharist, something much bigger happens. We're not just rehearsing a story. We are being invited into the story. This is how Jesus makes us a part of his body in his mission. So let's prepare to take communion together. I want to teach you this. This is Jesus, Emmanuel, here with us. Tell all the world we have a Savior. We have a Savior. We are no he has come down for us. We have a Savior. We have a Savior. This is Jesus. He met you.
disciples and he broke the bread and he passed it to them and he said this is my body that's been broken for you would you take it and eat it and likewise with the cup he said this is now the cup of my new covenant this is my blood that's been shed for you with this cup and with his sacrifice, we receive our forgiveness of sins. But we receive so much more. We receive entrance into his presence and into his kingdom. So would you take and drink this cup with joy? Jesus. You overwhelm us. We are in awe at your goodness, at your mystery, at your wonder, at the way that you work and at what you choose to do for us and in us and even through us. God, you are good. You are so good. Lord, we repent of the busyness and the chaos that we create in our own lives that keeps us from living in the wonder and anticipation of your coming kingdom. Would you rescue us from ourselves and would you restore in us this full and exciting and wonderful meaning that you have come 
and that you still come to us. We pray, we ask, we long for your kingdom to come. And we ask humbly because we know it's how you operate that you would use us to bring your kingdom to earth. We thank you. Our words are not enough, but we thank you and we, we give our lives as thanks to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For some of us, we might want to take some time and really pray about his kingdom coming in our lives in situations that need to be made right. And these altars are always available for that. But if you're needing to go, if you're ready to go, if you don't have a need to stay, let me bless you as you leave. Let me bless you in the strong name of Jesus with all of his joy and with the wonder of the truth that he is a God who comes. May you be wrapped up in it and may he use you to bring his kingdom. You may go in his peace and in his presence. You are dismissed. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.